Hello everyone and welcome to the La Liga Lowdown midweek podcast. I'm your host Matt Clark. Delighted to be joined by Paco Paulin, fresh from Mestalla. Uh, we've got plenty to get through this podcast, so let's get straight into it, Paco. Yeah, you just come from Mestalla, Ruben Baraja, the new Valencia coach, former player, of course, decorated, highly decorated legend of the club. He has taken the job on until the end of the season, and um, things are pretty critical at Valencia right now. We heard from Rory and Roman on the previous podcast about the performance mm. against Athletic Club, the protests, etc. This is your chance for you to give your take on, on everything that's happened at Valencia this last week. Well, obviously, first up, uh, super happy to be uh, here with you guys. Um, not at my 100%, because my, my voice is not, you know, in, in this tip-top shape. But, yeah, plenty of things to speak about. Obviously, the the uh, event which I just attended over in Mestalla Stadium with Ruben Baraja becoming Valencia's head coach, with uh, Carlos Marchena, another Valencia legend, as one of his uh, assistants. And... Uh, I don't know. I think that Valencia have um, decided to use their like last resort card in their deck because uh, at this point I think that there's no net, no safety net be below. Uh, things are looking bleak. The team is right now in one of the three relegation spots. Their their streak of results has been appalling in the last seven games. I believe it's one point out of 21, which is mm, rubbish. And uh, yeah, after the Bodo experiment, this time it didn't work. Mm. Eventually, it, would, it, it had to come because when you wear down the effect of these kind of changes at the helm of any club, and Valencia are no different to any other um, football club around the world, uh, ultimately, the, the, the effect of, of these changes isn't the same. And that's why Bodo didn't succeed in his tenure as Valencia's manager. And uh, I don't know, I, I think that I can't speak uh, objectively about uh, Pipo Baraja because in, in my view, or at least in my opinion, we're talking about one of Valencia's greatest players of all time. In my case, particularly, I'm talking about one of uh, my personal idols in, in some sense. I've seen the guy play and boss around um, one of... I don't know, many of, of Europe's greatest sides over in, in Mestalla. He dominated them in the midfield alongside David Albelda. So he has a special place in my in my heart. And unfortunately, I think that he, uh, you know, comes over to uh, become Valencia's manager, possibly in the most critical moment since 1986, which was, by the way, the year when I was born and the year when Valencia got relegated the last time, the first and only time to Segunda División. And I think that in this case, many things can be said about the appointment, but I think I can sum everything uh, up quite nicely with only one statement. But I have said that becoming Valencia's manager has been his dream uh, job and that he became a manager for this. So that explains most of the, you know, behind the scenes talks in the last few weeks. Uh, actually, Ruben Baraja was the one to uh, put his name uh, in the mix. Valencia didn't 
search for Baraja. They didn't ask about his current situation. It was Baraja who, realizing Valencia's current predicament and realizing just how tough things have become for the team, he decided to just, you know, uh, put his hand up and say that he was ready to uh, lend a hand and help the team in some way. And and that's why um, his uh, contract is due only to June 30th, so mm. four months and a half. Um, financially, isn't going to be a big, you know, spending for, for Valencia because he has been very, very cheap in, in some sort of sense, uh, both him and, and Marchena. We're not talking about money over here. We're not talking about, you know, the chance of adding a, an additional contract if things go uh, reasonably well in the next following months. But I had just wanted to be, become Valencia's manager as soon as possible in order to help the team as soon as possible. And any other uh, considerations has have been thrown out of the of the window. So I don't know. It's possibly one of the toughest jobs, if not the tough, toughest jobs nowadays around Europe, trying to turn things around in Valencia because uh, things have ultimately caught up to the way they have been managed in the last four years. You know, the level of destruction, of incompetence, and, you know, just doing things plain wrong. Most of the time, it had to catch up at some point, and that point has arrived. So Valencia, and especially Peter Lim, have decided to go uh, full-on uh, Ruben Baraja. I don't know if he's going to be capable of, of succeeding, but I'm sure that this level of bravery and uh, risk uh, speak very well of, of the manager and speak very well of what his intentions are. Mm. Well, it's been a, a dramatic week at Mistaya. We saw the protests on Saturday night before the game, well, in fact, during the first 19 minutes of the game against Athletic Club with uh, thousands of fans staying outside the stadium until minute mm. 19. Um, it was a very successful protest, as, as you were reporting on at the time. Uh, clearly, the voices were heard. And uh, we've had some, some fantastic articles written in, in the British press as well and, and on BBC Sport by our friend Andy West, which you contributed to, Paco. Yeah. Um, so it feels like that more and more people are now aware of the situation and how bad it, it is. Uh, critics would say that Baraka's appointment is merely to pacify the fans. As you say, it's a cheap option. It's a short-term yeah. option. And it's just going to try and you know win over a few fans, at least in the short term. Do you, do you see that argument? Uh, definitely, it's a very, very good point. You know, and and actually, I think that uh, this kind of appointment uh, means that Peter Lim is going to win in any uh, possible scenery. You know, because most of the fan base worship Baraja as one of Valencia's biggest players in the 21st century, and that's why I think that that kind of boat of confidence for for the new manager is going to be from the get-go uh, by the fans to the manager and to his new staff. But at the same time, you know, Baraja's first um, statement or at least one of his first messages coming across in the press conference was directed towards the fans, particularly because he wanted them to, to realize just how... Uh, you know, how difficult the situation is nowadays and that the team and the lads really, really need the, the support of the fan base. But the fans have been supporting the team every single game at home and away from home. You know, that kind of um, help has been always been a given from the fans to the team. But in this case, um, I think that this kind of message is one, uh, you know, directed from the ownership trying to 
calm down the, the waters over here because obviously the scenes that we saw last weekend were, uh, you know, worldwide, a worldwide phenomenon. You know, everyone were able to see just how at the beginning of the game between uh, Valencia and Athletic Club, you had 10, 12,000 people inside the, the stadium and 20,000 people outside, you know, protesting, chanting, uh, demonstrating and parading against Peter Lim. So I think that most of the fans are already in that kind of, uh, you know, state of mind where the, the passion to support your team is there and the passion to try and kick out the owner is there too. And I think that both of them are going to be in a delicate balance in the following weeks, at least until Valencia are able to string a couple of good results and pull out of the of the relegation battle. If things keep going south, obviously the scenario would be different and it's going to be very, very tough to predict what would happen then. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another thing he said was that, or he intimated in the press conference was that he almost demanded that he bring along Marchena with him. Yeah. Um, Describe for those that are maybe too young to remember. Yeah. Describe the relationship between those two, because you you've spoken to both, haven't you, on your on your yeah. Legends podcast? I had I had this the chance. Uh, it's very, you know, it's very um, a big coincidence, serendipity, you could say that uh, I actually spoke to Baraja back in December for for that uh, Voces de Leyendas podcast, where I often interview uh, former Spain legends, and Baraja was. One of the one of the interviewees, and also Marchena back in November, I believe. So uh, you know, two three months later, we have both of them over here. Uh, the relationship be between both of them have has always been very very tight. Um, actually, in the 2007-2008 season, uh, everyone might remember. You might remember. Our listeners might remember that when Ronald Kuman came over to Valencia, one of his first decisions. Um, was, you know, uh, setting aside both David Albelda, Santi Cañizares and Miguel Ángel Angulo um, for non-disclosed reasonings. Um, nobody knows actually the, the reasoning behind this, but the, the fact is that these three players were set aside of the rest of the squad. And that generated a big fracture inside the locker room. Uh, you had, you know, Team Albelda on one side, Team Baraja on the other side. And uh, actually, as the season progressed and Valencia were unable to just uh, win games, uh, even though they were able to uh, move on to the further rounds in Copa del Rey, they actually won the Copa del Rey. But every single player who, I, who I've interviewed since then has confessed that uh, Ronald Koeman had nothing to do in that, in that win. Most of them say that, obviously, uh, Koeman was the manager, but that they spoke within themselves. Um, and that they self-managed most of the of the Copa del Rey run, even though in La Liga they were unable to do that. That's why Valencia won Copa del Rey, and six or seven days later, Kuman was sacked, and uh, Boro came in for the first time, and that was when Valencia were able to, you know, turn things around and end the season more or less in a in a peaceful uh, way. Um, since then, the relationship between Baraja and Marchena was very very close, and actually. Uh, Marchena was the one to invite Baraja back in 2010 uh, to the to the World Cup final in South Africa. You know, Baraja was already retired. He had retired from football only one month earlier. And Marchena was over there in South Africa playing for Spain. And they were close friends. They are close friends. 
And back then, Marchena was the one to to call uh, Ruben Baraja and say, "Okay, we're in the final. You have to come. You have to be here. You have to attend this game and and live it in first person." And that's why uh, he managed to pick up a, a couple of tickets for for his friend. And Baraja was able to fly over to South Africa and watch Spain winning the the World Cup. So their relationship has always been great. They are their personalities are in some sense not very different uh but they have quite a few difference differences here and there baraja is much more you know straightforward he's very outspoken martinez much quieter but he has that kind of uh tough energy within and and in that way i think that they can they can uh, become a uh you know a, a super duo in in valencia's in valencia's bench and and that's why he was you know, but Marchena was Baraja's only uh, demand to the management. He wanted to him to support him because, at first uh, glance, they are going to be only for four months over here. So it's not going to be like a crucial commitment by both of them. Maybe things go very very well. They might continue further on, but at this at this point in in time, Baraja knows that the situation is so so difficult that he needs a person who can. 100% trust, and that person is Carlos Marchena. Indeed. Well, he is the man. Of course, other cynics would say that, you know, from looking on the outside, no other coach would really want to touch Valencia right now because of how the previous managers have been kind of burnt uh, in that sense. But it's a bit of a baptism of fire because on Monday night, his first game in charge will be Getafe away, 18th versus 19th, a real relegation six-pointer. And then the following four, Real Sociedad, Barcelona mm. away, Osasuna and Atleti. So a tough run of fixtures. This Hitafe game is huge. Possibly um, the Hitafe-Valencia game might be Valencia's most important game since 1986. Because oh. we are not talking about playing a Champions League final or playing for a La Liga championship or playing the you know a Copa del Rey final. We're talking about mere survival in the top flight. And uh, obviously, a defeat for Valencia would be absolutely devastating uh, because uh, you would, you know, suddenly lose also the that kind of revolution being brought in by Baraja. It's true that you would still have 16 games left to try to th- turn things around, but, you know, the first impact needs to be um, crucial and needs to be strong and needs to be uh, swift. And it's if Valencia are unable to, you know, uh, visit an ailing Getafe who have been unable to win uh, games and, and are not playing well. They are more or less in the same spot as, as Valencia. In this this kind of game, only one can come on top. And I think that a draw wouldn't benefit any of them. And obviously, a defeat for Valencia would be devastating. So, in my view, we're talking about uh, Valencia's La Liga's game, the most important one in 37 years. Incredible. Yeah, and it's mad that it's got to that point, but yeah, it does feel that big for Valencia. Well, we could talk about Valencia for the entire podcast, Paco, and I'm sure you could easily do that for, for days on end. But uh, <laughs> we must we must head to a break, and when we come back, we'll talk about the other news in La Liga and look ahead to uh, some of the weekend's games. So stay tuned. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, 
an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Fiscalía investiga a la sociedad de un ex vicepresidente de los árbitros que recibió pagos del Fútbol Club Barcelona por asesoramiento mientras ejercía su cargo. Welcome back to La Liga Lowdown. I'm here with Paco Pollitt. There's a bit of a bombshell news this morning um, mm -hmm. before Baraka's press conference. A bit of a bombshell from Cadena Ser, who are reporting that the prosecutor's office in Spain are investigating alleged corruption linked to a company. Um, or to a company linked to the former vice president of referees, Jose Maria Enriquez Negreda. And in this investigation, Cadena Ser reported that there was a payment of 1.4 million euros made by Barcelona to Negreda between 2016 and 2018. Now, Barca, of course, released a statement in response to this to say this was normal and it was simply to seek advice and things on, you know, referee reports, things like that. Um, they've actually questioned the timing of these reports and they also threaten legal action against anyone Uh, spoiling the club's image or insinuating any malpractice that these allegations would imply. Negreira himself has said that there are no invoices for the payments because the advice was verbal only. And then the RFEF have responded and saying that he's had nothing to do with them since their reform in 2018. And they had a strong, strong repost, uh, regretting the actions which might be likely to violate the ethics of the establishment and that no active referee or member of the CTA should undertake working activities which are a conflict of interest. So yeah, Paco, this is it's quite a bit of it's it's a huge uh, grenade yeah. really that's been thrown. Um obviously a lot of rival clubs are making a real kind of big noise about this and the idea that you can have payments between clubs and officials is, is very murky ground. And of course we, we don't know the ins and outs at this stage. Um and of course we've had those those statements from Barcelona and and the RFEF. But I mean at best it's not a great look, is it? Obviously not, because you uh, put in jeopardy absolutely everything uh, being achieved in that period. And obviously, um, when uh, most of the finger pointing has been going straight to uh, Bartomeu's tenure as as the as the president, for obvious reasons, because you know if you are well known for for shady stuff, um, ultimately everyone is going to uh, think. Uh, the first thing that they they're going to think about is is your involvement in in this kind of of matters um i think that th there are plenty of nooks and crannies to 
to unpack over here. Um, obviously, Enrique Negreira, um, as an individual, had influence back in the day in all of the referee stuff, but at the same time, there has been a, a, an official statement by the, the referees, the Spanish uh, Federation uh, Referee Committee, saying that this guy didn't have absolutely nothing to do. He had no involvement whatsoever. Um, and also it opens another, another uh, you know, can of worms um, when talking about the uh, involvement of former referees being integrated in the structures of big sides. This has happened in Barca, but back in the day it has happened also both in Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid, um, many, many other sides. All of them have that kind of referee advisors who themselves used to be referees back in the day. We're talking about the 80s, the 90s. And um, all of them have that kind of uh, role where they try to help the players in order to uh, ease their way into complaining to a ref, but without being booked or without being mm. sent off or without mm. being, you know, they have a way of, of, of doing things that you need to know the, you, you need to have the know-how inside the structure of any club and the locker room needs to know those kinds of details. For example, knowing if there's a referee who likes to, who favors banter two and fourth with the players, it's very different to another one who is very, uh, you know, very uh, authoritarian, you know, in some, some way that he likes to um, always drive a, a line in, in, in the sand. And, and those kinds of referees, you need to know which kind of, which you are going to face in any single game in order to proceed accordingly. And that's this kind of advice is what they do. And actually, they are not only in Barcelona. You have, you have them all around the Spanish league. But yeah, obviously, it, does, it doesn't look good or... Uh, it doesn't look fair for Barca if if being compared to to other other sides because if you start looking into the details or looking into the years who have who are you know allegedly being investigated, you can find some stats in those years or in those seasons which could make you jump into conclusions. For example, what if uh, Barca um, had I don't know. We're talking a hypothesis over here. 30 yeah. penalties um, in favor in a single season and suddenly they only have two or three against them. And uh, coincidentally, you have that year with this issue happening. Obviously, it's not looking uh, good for them. It's not looking fair for them. And obviously, what I'm expecting, both me and I imagine most of Spanish football, is a deep, deep investigation into these affairs. And if anything wrong or illegal has been done uh, a very strict and swift punishment because I think that uh, for quite a while um, one thing is talking about rumors and speculation and another one is having proof and papers and documents in front of you so in this case obviously we, we are lacking plenty of information yet but yeah things are not looking good for, for Barca Yeah and as you said there we, we shouldn't comment too much on you know the detail because any investigation will of course uh, need to run its course but um yeah we expect anything that does come out will be um made official it is interesting though isn't it that you look at in italy juventus have been hit and, and in manchester city in the premier league too mm -hmm. of course these are different things but you know it's a potential clampdown of of from authorities on on big football clubs 
which um, is an interesting kind of uh, comparison to make. Um, Barcelona themselves have a game on Thursday night in the Europa League against Manchester United, a mouthwatering clash at Camp Nou. Roman is going to be there. Uh, and also on Thursday, Sevilla taking on PSV in the Europa League playoffs. Mm. So two intriguing ties there. Paco, the return of Luke de Jong for one. Um, uh, what are your what are your take on on the Europa League basically uh, ahead of the, before we get into the weekend's games? Well, obviously uh, it's going to be tough for for the Spanish sides, um, mainly because the the level of the Europa League has increased quite a lot in the, in the last couple of seasons. And even though we aren't talking about Champions League level, uh, it's you know they have closed the gap quite a lot um, in latter seasons. That's why. Even though uh, you know we're facing, as you said, um, Sevilla, Barca, uh, I don't know. We're, we're talking about many teams with potential to really reach the, the the latest rounds of the of the tournament. So I'm intrigued uh, regarding the the physical state of the sides, especially after the the winter break, because we've seen that January has been extremely demanding for many teams. For example. Um, and I don't want to speak about Valencia because obviously Europe is very far away from, from the side, but that's the perfect example. Valencia played, I believe, seven or eight games in only one month. Mm -hmm. And you can see that the team in the first two weeks of February have been in shambles. So even though I've seen other sides, like for example, Real Sociedad being pretty uh, proficient, taking advantage of their depth of their squad, also Sevilla slowly turning things around in La Liga. They are no longer in relegation places, but... Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. Those matchups are are going to be very interesting to watch, and I actually expect plenty of them, if not all of them, to move on to the to the next rounds because I, I think that the Spanish teams, especially those who are uh, fighting for uh, European spots this season in La Liga, um, have uh, had a, a big jump in both quality and and performance uh, thanks to deeper squads. You know, a uh, larger number of players being able to come in, subs, signings in the in the January transfer market, changes here and there, changes of manager, for example, San Paolo in Sevilla. So, you know, I expect greatness from, from most of them. Mm. Well, the second legs take place next week, of course. So a quick turnaround there. And Manchester United, for their part, have a, a League Cup final in between. So an interesting one of three games for the Red Devils. On to the La Liga action for the weekend. And we'll run through the fixtures first, and then we'll see what takes your fancy, Paco. Okay. It all kicks off at Montilivi on Friday night in a clash between two promoted sides, Girona against Almeria. On Saturday, Real Sociedad take on Celta on the Saturday lunchtime fixture. Real Sociedad, of course, beat Espanyol 3-2 on Monday night to go solidly into third position, eight points clear of fifth. Following that is Betis against Real Valladolid. Uh, Valladolid have kept three consecutive clean sheets in the league and Betis this week uh, learned that their sporting director, Antonio Cordon, will leave the club. Also on Saturday, Mallorca against Villarreal. Fascinating game there with Kike Setien under a bit of pressure following three consecutive defeats. And then Saturday evening, Osasuna against Real Madrid. The uh, Los Blancos fresh from winning the Club World Cup and cutting the lead in La Liga back to eight points. So a big game at El Sadar. On Sunday, we have Elche against Espanyol. Seems like a pretty big game for Diego Martinez too. Uh, Rayo Sevilla should be a fun one. Then Atleti Athletic Club, real historic clash at the Civitas Metropolitano. And we round off Sunday with Barcelona against Cadiz. And of course, the Monday night game we've already spoken about is Hitafe Valencia. So Paco, of the other games there, what uh, stands out to you? Atleti Athletic Club looks like a pretty good one. 
yeah, I'm going to pick three of them. Um, game of the Weekend, Fun Game of the Weekend, Drama Game of the Weekend, okay? <laughs> In my view, Game of the Weekend, obviously Atletico Madrid, Athletic Club would be the obvious choice, but uh, I think that Osasuna Real Madrid might be the best one. You know, the, the, the level of both teams being shown uh, in the last couple of months. Osasuna are always very, very strong at home and they have managed to, you know, become uh, a power and a force to be reckoned with when playing at El Sadar. Real Madrid coming off uh, yet another title being won, more silverware for, for them. And uh, I think that game, nine o'clock, you know, big game of the Saturday, I think it can have plenty of reasons for any fan to to take a peek. Um, fun game of the weekend, I'd go with Girona Almeria, actually, because both teams are in that point where they are out of the relegation zone, but still not safe. And actually, they are so... Sorry for the wording here. They are so horrible when defending that I expect quite a few goals in that game. Because, you know, always those Friday-Monday games tend to be more feisty than, than the weekend ones. I don't I don't yeah. really know why, but, you know, it seems like all teams leave aside their, their defensive uh, qualities and just go for it. And, and I think Girona and Merina, Merina are two teams which are very similar in many ways, similar managers, you know, quality players, uh, and obviously their, uh, obviously their equipment, their, their kits this season. So uh, that one can be really, really fun. And if we talk about drama game of the weekend, Getafe Valencia next Monday, um, whoever loses this game is going to have one of their two feet in the second division because uh, Getafe winning would be huge for them. They haven't done it in quite a while and they would leave Valencia second to last in the standings. If Valencia are able to beat Getafe, they leave one of the, you know, enemies, uh, I believe, four points away. They get out of the relegation zone, possibly, depending on the rest of the results. And it would be the, the dream debut for Ruben Baraja. So I think that more drama, it's impossible to pack in a single game. Absolutely. Fantastically put there, Paco. We have to leave it there, but we'll end with uh, a salute to Jakob Jankto, who this week released on yeah. social media uh, a video where he announced to the world that he was gay and that he wanted to you know, live his life as, as he genuinely is. And uh, it was good to see that there was a, a wide range of support from across the footballing world, Spanish football, of course. He is a, a Sparta Prague player, but on loan from Hitafe, so a La Liga link for sure. A few words for him, Paco. Mad respect for the guy. Um, mad props for him for being brave to to uh, perform that step. Hopefully, it's not going to be the last one. Hopefully, uh, other peers who are also uh, gay um, realize that we are in 2023 and that this kind of, you know... Um, choices that you make in your life shouldn't be uh, any kind of uh, barrier for your performance as, a, as an elite football player. So I would like definitely and pray for more of these cases in, in the future. And uh, especially I, I'm, you know, very uh, optimist uh, and optimistic regarding the reaction of the society. I think that the Spanish football has, has been in this sense uh, absolutely supportive of him and, um, you know, I think both the player and the, the reaction of Spanish football have made every one of us proud. So in this sense, uh, mad props to, to him. And I hope that uh, this helps to his happiness, obviously, day to day. 
Very well said. Yep, everyone's equal and love is love. Well, Paco, thank you so much for your insights. I know you've had a very busy day to and from this day. It's been a very busy week, month, season. Um, go and have a cough sweet and uh, we look forward to hearing from you again very soon. Thanks, Ho mate. Hopefully my voice will be much more, much better the next time. Thanks, <laughs> You Matt. sounded fine to me. Uh, well, thank you again, listeners. Uh, we'll be back on Monday with a podcast on the weekend's action. And be sure to follow us at La Liga Lowdown on Twitter for all the weekend's reporting and on our Substack, lllonline.substack.com, where we've got pieces on the likes of Diego Martinez Espanol and Malaga's perilous position in Segunda. So check out our content fresh every day. Thanks again, everyone, and adios. Hi, I'm Jakub Piankto. Like everybody else, I also want to live my life in freedom, without fears, without prejudice, without violence, but we love. I'm homosexual and I no longer want to hide myself. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.